Oh man, race day is getting close. How are those tapered legs feeling? Shelby Farrell here, SoCal-based runner, back with another Havelina 100 mini-series episode. This week on the Steep Life Media Podcast, we have Andy Jones-Wilkins. He has run 3,800 milers. He ran Havelina in 2007, getting second place. You can find his race report on that accomplishment in his column, AJW's Tap Room, on I Run Far. As you'll hear on this episode, I have some new gear I need to break in a wee bit before race day. I finally decided what shoes I'm going to be wearing, so that feels really good. The Adidas Terex Speed Ultras, thanks for asking. Nice and light and grippy to tear up that desert terrain. I ordered what feels like a lifetime supply of spring energy gels in Morton today, likely all to be consumed by the end of the 30th. Last minute, yet just in the nick of time. It'll all be good. I'm ready. I've never met Andy before, and I jab a jeeling, if we're playing the Havelina J game, that Andy is going to bring loads of insight to this conversation. So turn your listening ears up and get ready to soak in some wisdom. What's up, AJW? Oh man, good to be here. Thanks for having me, Shelby. I'm doing great. Yeah. Are you ready to run? We're like a week and a half out at the time of this recording. Oh yeah. I, I, I hope so. I mean, I'm (laughs) I'm just looking forward to being back out in the desert and uh, I love the Pemberton trail and McDowell mountain park and uh, the Valley. So uh, I I think it'll be a, I think it'll be a, a homecoming of sorts for me and also just a lot of fun to be, to be out in a place with like-minded people and, just going round and round and round for a, a day or so. Yeah, it's going to get loopy. So you ran Havelina in 2007 and you've been up to a bunch of things since then. Tell us about yourself, Andy. Well, uh, yes, I did run uh, I did run uh, Havelina in 07. I, I, I actually lived in, uh, in the Phoenix area between 96 and 01 and and that's actually where I discovered the trails. A lot of the, the old boys from Phoenix, um, Vince Devlin, Tom Gentle, Scott Mojalewski, Jay Loesch, uh, uh, Ed Zarambo. I mean, there it was a it was a heady time in the late '90s. There, there were only a couple of races: Crown King, 50K, Man Against Horse up at Prescott, uh, Phoenix National Trail, 50K and 50 Miler. So. I've always had a, a sort of place in my heart for the for the Phoenix area for running, uh, and so I, I ended up uh, leaving the area in uh, in '05. Uh, ended up in the Bay Area, which is where I fell in love with the Western States 100, uh, which, as I think most listeners know, is probably the most prestigious hundred miler in the in the United States at least. And I ended up running that 10 times uh, between 2001 and 2014. And uh, along with a bunch of other hundreds, uh, you know, all the, all the Grand Slam hundreds, Wasatch, Leadville, Vermont, uh, Hard Rock. And so, you know, the return to returning to Havelina now that I'm older, certainly slower, uh, I, I'm really looking forward to just kind of embracing the experience and and being there with uh, you know several hundred more like-minded folks, many of whom I've never met before, and uh, 
and just having a chance to run in that in that great environment again. So it's a little bit about myself. I'm a I'm an educator. At my day job. I'm a school school principal. I have a, a wife, Shelley. We've been married almost 30 years and uh, three kids. Uh, 23 year old Carson lives in Durango, Colorado. 21 year old Logan uh, is in college in Richmond, Virginia, and 18 year old Tully is currently in Durango and uh, will be starting college in Oregon uh, before too long. So that's a little bit about myself. Oh, cool. You have a lot of places to visit between those kiddos. Oh, yeah, that's the that's the best part about bringing up kids traveling around a lot. They end up deciding where they like and then we can go visit them. That's cool. Do any of your kids also run? Uh, you know, uh, Logan, my middle son, is a bicycle racer, pretty competitive. He, he was a top 20 finisher this past summer at the Unbound Gravel in Kansas. He's a he's a really strong cyclist. I think I think all three of them decided after growing up, I mean, literally in my first hundred miler at Angeles Crest, Shelly had Carson in the backpack and Logan in the stroller and Tully wasn't even born yet. So these guys grew up going to going to races. Uh, I think every every aid station at Western States knew them by name. And so I think by the time they got into their own athletic lives, they chose to do something other than run. But you never know. Maybe they'll maybe they'll come around. I've, they've all three of them have paced me. Most recently, Tully or uh, my 18 year old paced me at the the Bighorn 100 this past June. He he ran all 34 of the last miles with me. Uh, and Logan and Carson as well have, have paced me. So it's a family affair when we uh, when we go to these big events. Oh, what a great team! And you and Shelly have been together 30 years. Do you have any <laughs> do you have any tips for uh, fellow runners like myself who have a, my husband often is a crew slash pacer and you know, things can get heated out there. How do you guys communicate on course to stay healthy and happy? <laughs> well, yeah. Um, Shelly is a runner herself, just not, not ultras. Um, but she, she's an athlete. She was a competitive, uh, co collegiate NCAA collegiate swimmer. And so she understands kind of the athletic pursuit. And, and our, of course our boys are all athletes as well. I think what we what, what we established early on, I mean, especially especially as I had those competitive years, you know, I got second place at Western States in 2005 and I won Vermont three times. I mean, when 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 you're a competitive ultra runner, uh, your crew is really really important sort of cog in the wheel. So uh, Shelly really became and and has become, you know, much more than just a spouse. She's kind of, you know, just a, a counselor, a supporter, uh, you know, a person who understands what, what makes me tick. I think the important thing for maintaining, you know, marital harmony over 30 years is to realize that it's a give and take. You know, you, you can't always be focused on your own uh, running or your own pursuit of your goals. And th there needs to be a give and take. And I think for my, my best tip on that is to just communicate about that. You know, I think Shelly at some of these races, 
particularly some of the more competitive ones, you know, she's seen me at some of my most raw moments, you know, when I'm just really stripped to the bone and, and barely hanging on. And, and I think when your spouse has seen you in that, in that context, it, it makes the relationship stronger when you, when you face other life challenges, whether it be a, a death in the family or something happens with one of your kids or, you have to, you know, face a, a job situation with one or the other of them. You know, if you if you face down demons in other parts of your life, it makes you better able to face down those demons when they hit you, kind of in real life. Yeah, oh, I like I like your thoughts around that, and the give and take is is definitely yeah something that should be communicated. Certainly, man. So, what does your training look like for Havelina this year? So yeah, that's an excellent question. I've, I've, you know, with so many miles on my body, um, I, I do know, I, I, I kind of have a good sense of what I need to do to be ready for a, a, an event like Havelina. You know, I, I, um, I started back in the spring. My focus was on Bighorn Hundred, which is a mountain hundred in Wyoming. Once I finished that, so that was the third week in June. You know, I went out to Western States. I, you know, I hung out there. You know, did did what I usually do there, and then kind of settled into training. I knew after going from a mountain hundred to a flatter hundred like Avelina, I was going to have to focus on actually running more. You know, <laughs> as my age as a 54 year old, I can I can get away with get, getting through a hundred by like walking 70 miles of the hundred miles and. At Havelina, you know, you don't really want to do that. There's a there's a lot of runnable terrain out there. The the trail's beautiful. The conditions are perfect. So I had to do. I, I've done a fair bit of running. The other thing I've done is that I um I signed up for a bunch of races. I I recently relocated to Pennsylvania. I was in the South before, and and so as races are starting coming out of COVID, you know, there were a lot of like 50 Ks and 50 milers here through the summer and. Yeah, I just signed up for them. I probably did, probably did six races between, uh, you know, July first and now, and including a twelve-hour race. I'd never even done a timed race before, uh, but I did a twelve-hour race just a couple weeks ago. It was a one-mile loop at this farm, and you just run as many loops as you can, and until twelve hours is up. and And that was a lot of fun. I, I ended up getting fifty-six miles and. I felt pretty good about that. And so at that point I thought, okay, I I'm ready for Havelina. I'll kind of, I'll chill out this last month, uh, you know, maybe run, you know, 30, 40 miles a week and, you know, get, kind of get to get, get out to the desert ready to, you know, rested and ready to go. So that's where I am right now. Um, and we'll, we'll see, you know, it's, it's a lot different than when I ran it 14 years ago. You know, I, I think 14 years ago I ran it in, you know, 16 hours and, if I have a good day this year, I'll do it in 24. So uh, that'll be that'll be a blast. But that's that's kind of how my training's been. I think it'll be interesting to see how I respond to the heat. I mean, we had a really hot summer here, but it hasn't been hot for the last month. And you know, the desert heat uh, it it comes up quick and it only lasts a few hours, but it can take a lot out of you. So I'll be curious to see how I respond to that. And, you know, how I dial, dial down the pace a little bit, work on my nutrition, my hydration, my electrolytes, and kind of get to the night uh, in a little bit uh, of a good, 
of a good place. I also have my, you know, one of my best friends in the world is Craig Thornley, and he's the race director of Western States, and and he's going to pace me on the last loop, the last 20 miles. So I'll need to make sure I have my act together by the time I get to him. Yeah, <laughs> man. Okay, so that 12-hour race, um, it, I had to look something up there. My uh, father-in-law. Bill Gerhardt did labor pain, 12 hour endurance run. And that's in Reading, but it was a five mile loop. So I was, I got really excited for a second that you two were at the same race, but if you're looking for another. Yeah. Day, labor, labor, labor pains is on, uh, on labor day weekend, right? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I, I think, I think a five out, a five mile loop would be, I'd like to do one of those. This was a one mile loop. And I, I have to say it, it, mentally, it was fine. I didn't mind going round and round and round. But there were so many like 180 degree turns because it just kind of twisted and turned around this farm field that it kind of it kind of beat me up a little bit more than I thought it would, just based on the you know the kind of different stresses it placed on my body. So I, I'd love to do another timed event. Maybe labor pains would be a good one. But I think a little bit longer loop, yeah, you know, three miles, five miles would be better than one mile. Yeah. Yeah. One mile. So, I mean, you just get into the flow though, just like we're going to with Havelina. So that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's great. So you mentioned uh, dialing in your nutrition and fueling. What is your typical approach during a hundred miler to stay nice and fueled? Uh, I try and, I mean, it's pretty simple. I, I try to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner kind of like you would do in a normal life. So Unfortunately, I'm blessed enough that I can take I can take in a thousand twelve hundred calories, you know, and and keep running. So uh, at Havelina, I'll probably, you know, I'll probably run the first half of the first loop just on on water, and when I get to that that middle aid station, I'll probably have something pretty substantial, solid food wise. And then when I get back to Havelina headquarters, I'll do that again. And by solid food, it'd be anything from grilled cheese sandwiches to, you know, eggs and bacon to kind of whatever they have at the aid station. I try to, I try to go with solid food as long as I can. You know, I'm not going that fast. Um, you know, if I'm averaging 11, 12 minute miles, I'm happy. So I can, I can get down a fair bit of solid food and and still keep moving. Uh, then by about 12, 13 hours, my ability to get solid food down kind of deteriorates. And, and at that point, it's, it's gels and sports drink and whatever kind of calories I can get uh, to the finish line. And as long as I'm getting 250 to 300 calories an hour, at least a liter of fluid an hour, a fair amount of sodium. I'm a pretty heavy sweater, so I do need I do need supplemental sodium, whether it's salt tabs or just salt. You know, just grab a spoonful of salt and gut it down, or drink chicken broth and stuff like that. I'll do uh, in the second, you know, the second 12 hours just to get it done. So the idea would be solid food for the first 12 hours, uh, and gels and fluids and electrolytes for the second 12 hours. Ooh, and you mentioned that chicken broth. I, so Havelina was my first 100 miler last year. And 
the aid stations kept suggesting you should have our vegan broth, have our, have our broth. And I was like, ah, no, thanks. That sounds really weird right now. And then finally I had the broth and it was life giving. It was, yeah, 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 it really helped me. So Kudos. So in, yeah, in, in some of my, um, again, in my, in my competitive years, uh, Shelly, again, uh, my wife, she, she did a fair bit of studying on electrolytes and people who are heavy sweaters like me. And, uh, we ended up, she ended up making a concoction. We, we jokingly nicknamed it witch's brew and it was, um, it was chicken broth, but it was made with coconut water. And it sounds gross, I know, but when you think about the the high sodium in chicken broth and the high potassium in coconut water, I distinctly remember being uh, at mile 70, 70 of uh, the Vermont 100, the first year I won it actually, and Shelley just handed me, uh, you know, a small cup, barely three ounces. And she was just like, take a shot of this. And I just grabbed it and took a shot of it. And it was basically double strength chicken broth made with coconut water. And it became the my lifeblood for the next five years of running ultras. So I hear what you're saying. And I'm glad that you eventually succumbed to those folks saying, you know, you need this. The thing about it is it does because you're getting it in liquid form, it kind of lines your stomach, it lines your throat, you get you, the salt and the electrolytes kind of flow completely into your system. There's something about it that just gets into the bloodstream faster than other sources of electrolytes. And so even though it seems weird, especially if it's like 85 degrees and sunny, it's like, why would I drink chicken soup right now? I wanna have a Coke. You know, it really does help to do that. It really does. And I really want to like cackle right now. Mwahaha, witch's brew. That's so great. Witch's <laughs> brew. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and it's perfect. It's, per it's perfect for a Halloween race. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Has your fueling strategy changed over the years? Nope. I mean, I, like I said, this will be my 3,800. I've probably, I've had GI problems half the time, which by that, I mean, you know, had to throw up mid-race or post-race or, you know, close to the end of the race. But, uh, but no, I, I mean, the, the only thing that's changed is um, what I, I would say what I drink, you know, the uh, drink companies in particular have gotten a lot more scientific. You know, we've, we've come a long way from Gatorade uh, in the sport. And so, the, the ways in which various drink companies are now balancing the electrolytes with the calories, you know, companies like Scratch and Tailwind and, and so forth. I, I think they're, they've really been game changers. And for people who can't necessarily stomach solid food during a long race, but for me, since I can stomach solid food, I, I you know, I'll stomach it as long as possible. And, and when I can't anymore, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll move on to the more simple sugars, but to be honest, in 25 years of doing this, I, I haven't changed much. And when I think about going into Havelina, I'll, you know, I'll probably just have my stuff every time I finish a loop and, 
Uh, you know, maybe I'll take it right there or I'll carry it with me for a little while, but but I, I'm, I'm going to go with what's gotten me this far. I like that. Yeah. Simple and you know what works. So that's right. That's right. Yeah. Stick with it. Yeah. I think, I think I'm going to, I'm going to go the spring energy gel route for Havelina. I've been really enjoying those. They actually taste. Yeah, good. they're good. They're, they're definitely good. And they, and they, they're not, you, you don't get sick of them. I've found like they're kind of, they're not too sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Some of those gels, I just, I can't do anymore. <laughs> just yeah, gross. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had a pretty epic boot and rally at Havelina last year. It was mile 87. And man, do I wish I had just let it out sooner. So if anybody feels not. So, so how long how, how long did you feel it coming before you finally <laughs> I think it started around mile 55. And then, oh, yeah, but it yeah. would go away. So like I, I definitely had to slow down and walk for a while because I just felt so nauseous. And that was the first time I had experienced that. And then I think it like it got darker. So I felt better. I got a little second wind. I was able to run through it. And then I got a pacer and I felt okay. It was like, it was a roller coaster. Um, but then 97, it finally came out and I felt great after I ran nine minute miles to the finish. So that's cool. <laughs> yeah. There, there's definitely a, a post, a post puke euphoria that you can, you can milk it for like an hour, but then you do need to, I mean, my advice to anybody would be if you feel that coming and you know, okay, I, I know this feeling like from when I was a kid, I know I'm going to puke it's actually better to just get it over with and then, and then sort of plan your plan of attack from there, which is starting to refill your stomach with calories, refill your stomach with electrolytes, refill your stomach with fluid, not too much. Cause that's the other problem. People will puke once and they'll be like, Oh my God, I just puked up all of my, um, all of the calories I just took, I better take a bunch more calories and then they take a bunch more calories and they puke again. So, I mean, I, you want to, you want to be careful about that. You also, it also is worth like, like you did, if you can run nine minute miles and you're feeling good, it's like, well then just ride that train as long as it'll go, you know, uh, because <laughs> yeah. especially in your case, you were close enough to the end where you could like just ride it out, get it done. And then, you know, well, then you're done. Then it doesn't matter what you do. You can, you know, fall, fall asleep in a puddle of your own puke, but you're done with your race. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My husband was like, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. Just go, just go. And I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm good. I'm going. I'm good. And uh, I, I think that the refueling after strategy is huge. I think I would have felt a lot better in the 24 hours after Havelina had I not just like gone to sleep after I should have really right tried to right yeah <laughs> but yeah I'm pretty sure I just laid down in our tent after and like rolled around in pain until the sun came up <laughs> I can't wait to do it again it's gonna be so fun <laughs> well hopefully not the puking part but you know that 
that feeling after a hundred where your body's just vibrating, but your brain is it's an awesome. It's an static. awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a really awesome feeling. I know people sometimes think uh, us ultra runners are nuts when we try to describe it, but trust us. It's an, an amazing feeling. <laughs> what are you most looking forward to in this year's Havelina? Oh my gosh. Just being back. You know, uh, so, um, you know, I've, I, I lived in Phoenix for five years. Uh, we've, when we, we've vacationed there, we've camped out at McDowell mountain park for, you know, probably often on the last 10 years at spring break and things like that. You know, I'm really looking forward to being back in that environment and being back kind of in a race environment. I'm looking forward to reconnecting with old friends, you know, I, I, you know, I've been to some races, uh, obviously Western States was a homecoming this past June, but all of my Arizona friends, you know, it seems like everybody comes out for Havelina, you know, Paul and James Bonet and Scott Mojalewski and of course, Jamil and everybody with Aravipa. So, I mean, it's just going to be great to be after these couple of years that it's just felt like we've been all separated, you know, it's going to be nice to just be all together again. And I'm also looking forward to seeing, you know, I've, I've seen, you know, pictures and videos and so forth of the race and what it's become and the tent village and, you know, all of that. But man, you know, when I ran it in 2007, it was, um, you know, a humble little race and, we just did the Pemberton loop six and a half times and everybody set up their tents in the parking lot there at the Pemberton loop. And, you know, the aid station was at the Ramada and I, I, I really, I'm excited to see, uh, you know, what, what, what the race has become since then. And I, I know, I know it's become an incredible event, but, uh, but it's also stayed true to its roots. You know, the, I remember I remember talking with the race founder Jerry Kilgariff, who was a friend of mine when I you know when I lived in the um, in the valley along with Linda Van Tilborg and when they you know hatched the idea of the race, they thought you know maybe they'd get 50 people to sign up who would possibly want to run around and round and round on the Pemberton Trail and you know little did they know two years later you know they were going to sell out and. Uh, and it's become what it's become. So that's most of all what what I'm what I'm looking forward to. And then you know I love the desert. I, I love the physical environment. I love the pristine um, setting of uh, McDowell Mountain Park, and uh, just being there, just being there, soaking it in, smelling the creosote. Uh, you know, looking at the at the at the moon as it rises. That'll just be that'll just be a special day and something that, uh, that, you know, even though I've done a bunch of these, everyone's different and everyone's special. And I think this one will be particularly special after all these years away. Yeah. I mean, I believe Gary started it in 2003 and then Jamil took it over in 2008. So it's probably a much different experience in 2007. Did you wear a Halloween costume in 2007? I did. I I, I did not. In, in fact, so in, yeah. So Jerry had it from 2003 to 2006. Roger Rublick, you, I'm not sure if you know Roger. He also did a, across the years for a couple of years at a Nardini Manor. He, he transitioned it from, from Jerry to Jamil. 
Roger also owned uh, owned the Avon Hotel up in Silverton, uh, where Hard Rock is. But no, you know, I've not been a costume person uh, at the race, um, and I, I sadly, I, I probably won't. I won't be this year. I'm I'm going to have a costume. I'm going to have a costume to wear on Friday uh, when I get there, and I'll have a costume to wear after I finish. But I'm going to run. I'm going to run in just my regular running clothes. Uh, in in 2007, uh, there were it was there were probably I don't know maybe a a dozen people in costumes, but it was a little bit more. It was a little bit more. Uh, was I, I guess it was a little bit less of a raucous party then than it is now, um, but it was also every bit as much of a, hey, this is the kind of late fall hundred miler, and we're all getting together, and let's just all have a good time. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, sounds like you might as well just dress up as Scrooge because you're going costumeless. Just kidding. Just kidding. I, I might. I might. But no, I have I have a couple of ideas of costumes that I think are particular uh, Arizona um, Arizona centric, uh, and I think people, especially Jamil and some of the uh, folks who have been around for a while, they'll. I think they'll appreciate it, but yeah, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a little Scrooge for the 24 hours I'm running. Cause I'm going to just go kind of old school with my shorts and my tank top and my two handhelds and I'll be good. Oh, that was going to be my next joke. Are you going to have handhelds old school? I love it. It's oh yeah. No pack, <laughs> no pack for me. <laughs> I, uh, I ordered the Carl Meltzer ultra spire speed goat uh waist pack i probably should have gone a couple months ago to properly test out but uh i'm hoping i like it <laughs> oh no yeah it's it's pretty normal for people to just do stuff for the first time on race day you'll be fine what could possibly go wrong right what could possibly go wrong i did <laughs> i did run a marathon with a gopro earlier this summer on my chest <laughs> And I didn't realize, like, it ended up bruising my sternum from the pounding. So it is interesting what things can do to you uh, when they're attached to you for hours. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It'll be fine. It'll be good. Yeah, I don't, be- I don't want to do a pack because, I don't know, it's extra heat, too. And I, I haven't crossed over to handhelds yet. I'm just not cool enough. I like having my hands free. So you like having your hands free? Yeah. Yeah. So which one did you get? Did you get the one that has two bottles, two bottles or just one bottle? Two bottles. Two bottles. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the plan is to have one with water and one with some kind of electrolyte drink possibly uh actually i was just introduced this electrolyte drink called um performance tea and they just made one called endurance and i don't think it's out yet but what's neat about it is it has adaptogens in it too so it's oh cool yeah supposed to help with so what what did you do what did you did you wear a pack last year oh yeah last year <laughs> last year i had this camelback pack on, um, and really was, you know, first hundred miler realized after the first loop, 
there is this pretty heavy flashlight situation in it from a night run I had done several weeks beforehand that I just never found in there when I was repacking the pack. So that was some fun extra weight to carry around. <laughs> <laughs> you just you just had a random flashlight in there that you'd forgotten about? <laughs> yep. Man, you were a rookie. Yeah, stop it. Yes, yeah, I, I was. I was. My husband found it after the first loop. He's like, what is this doing in here? And I was like, I don't know. I didn't know it was even in there. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. The thing with the hydration bladders too, is they're just kind of a pain to fill up. So, I mean, in one sense, you can use one bladder the entire time, but it's heavy. So the thought with that, the two small bottles, which I imagine is your thought too, is I can just quickly fill them up at aid stations. And yeah, I think that's perfect. And, and uh, I mean, I think, I think that ultra spire pack is good. Uh, you just, you'll have to, you know, you, I, I would say the trick is all joking aside, you probably do want to take it for a couple test runs just to, just to make sure you get the, like where you position it on your hips and, and how tight you make it and so forth. Um, because it does, it does, you know, close, you know, it, it, you feel it on your stomach. Totally. Yeah, yeah, I'm hoping it might have arrived today. So I'll, it'll it'll get some test runs. And I have heard that, you know, waste packs, people have had issues with them, how they hit their hips. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm old enough to, you know, I was before the vest era. And when I was in, when, when I did races that you needed more than two bottles to get from one aid station to the other, we had to have those. And I mean, uh, Ultimate Direction made a bunch of them. And I mean, they, they tried everything. They had the bottles sideways. They had the bottles at 45 degree angles. They had the bottles, you know, more towards your hips than towards the back to try and prevent bouncing. So um, I don't mind. I mean, I'll put one of those on. I'd rather put one of those on than a vest. If I'm in a like a mountain race where I'm going to end up using poles like Hard Rock or, you know, a Wasatch where it's kind of a pole race um, and you can't use handhelds, obviously, when you're holding poles. Um, although I still think someone out there should invent some way to attach handhelds to your poles. But that's another story. <laughs> uh, I think that I'd rather do that because of the same reason, you know, you have this vest on, it's constraining. I also think people who carry vests. They just put more stuff in than they actually need. It's just like, well, I have all this space, so I'll go ahead and put this this uh, battery charger in here and this extra jacket and all this food, and and they end up not needing it. So I think uh, I think that's an art and a science figuring out what you're going to need and when you're going to need it and how you're going to carry it. Yeah, it is. I had interviewed Carl Meltzer before Cocodona 250. He ended up not running it, unfortunately, but he told me, you know, he's super minimalist. It's pretty interesting to listen to him talk about his tactics. He'll he'll wear bike gloves and stick gels in his bike gloves just to (laughs) save space and also protect his hands if he he falls. So, oh yeah, there's there's no doubt, Carl. Carl Carl thinks that, like me, we, we both think people carry way too much crap. Yeah, like random flashlights you forgot you had in your pack that you yeah, never exactly. even needed in your pack. 
Yeah, and, and Carl was one of the first guys who wore pants, you know, shorts with pockets. He would put like 12 gels in his pockets and run. I, I don't know how he did it. They're bouncing against his legs and stuff. But, uh, you know, he would rather do that than put some sort of vest on. But, yeah, yeah I, make sure you, you have your husband check uh, check your gear before the night before Havelina so you're not carrying an extra flashlight. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that this year. That, <laughs> that's definitely going to take at least an hour off my time. <laughs> oh, no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> oh, man, it's going to be a really spicy race. It's now a golden ticket race. So I'm, it's going to be really fun to be out there. I think the energy is going to die. Even just talking about it right now, I'm getting that like tingly, excited feeling. It's going to be fun to I'm really, I'm really psyched about the fact that um, that Western States has gone back to uh, a couple of hundred milers to be golden ticket races. I, and I know it's been six or seven years. I mean, there was a time that uh, that Pinhoti was a golden ticket race. And um, uh, I can't remember the other one, but it's nice to that now UTMB and Havelina are golden tickets. I, I do think that being able to run a hundred miler fast does set you up well for Western States. And so I'm thrilled both for Western States and for Havelina that there's a hundred mile domestic golden ticket race. And I think it's going to be an exciting race at the front, um, you know, for both the men and the women. And uh, it'll be great to see how it, how it plays out. And, and the best thing about those for those people is, you know, they're going to know by October 31st what their plans are going to be for the fourth weekend in June. And that's pretty awesome feeling. That is. It's nice having a, having a plan further out, especially, yeah. I, mean, I talked about this on a previous episode of this podcast, but it's really nice having something in the future. Yes, you want to enjoy the moment and the feeling of accomplishment from the race that you just ran, but I don't know. Personally, it's nice kind of being able to keep dreaming further out too. Well, and it's also it's also nice to have a to, to, to actually know what your what your what your year is going to look like. You know, right. I mean, it's it it just if you're if if you if it if it takes you six months to get in shape or if you have other life concerns to worry about like jobs and kids and stuff like that. It's, it's nice to know, okay, whatever happens with all that crap, I'm going to be, you know, here's where I'm going to be on the fourth Saturday in June and I better be ready for it. Yeah. Yeah. You can actually plan just a beautiful yeah. thing. Okay. So hypothetically, if you are going for a golden ticket at Havelina this year, what would your strategy be? Um, so I'll, 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 I'll zoom out, you know, I'll take the, the time machine back to when I finished second there, which would have given me a golden ticket. And I think I would have, I, I, I would chill for the first three loops. Um, and then when you got to, so let's say, you know, you're a golden ticket let's say male. So you're a golden ticket male qualifier. So you're going to probably hit hundred K, you know, in nine, let's just say nine and a half hours, right. Or nine between, between eight forty-five and nine thirty. 
you know, so, so now, so now it's three in the afternoon and it's probably, it's still hot, but it's probably starting to chill out a little bit. I would say put the hammer down uh, since everyone goes the same direction this time. I would put on the fourth loop, I would put the hammer down on the, on the long gradual climb up to the first aid station, past the first aid station. I would also, you know, crush the rollers in the middle part. And then I would just try to figure out whatever kind of gap I could get on the, on whoever the pursuers were uh, from Jackass Junction back to the headquarters, right? So that would get me from 60 to 80. And then you'd have a sense at 80 what you had to do on that last loop when now it's really, it's like not nighttime, but let's just say you do that loop in, you know, in, in, in uh, 245 or 230, 245. Now all of a sudden it's nice and cool and you can hammer that last loop. So I would say chill the first three loops, you know, put the hammer down on the fourth loop and then hang on on the fifth loop. Now, the converse strategy, and we've seen this work like for Tollefson the last time, is to hammer the first loop because it's still cool and then chill for two and three and then pick it up again after that. But I think this year that strategy would be less effective because there's there's like no clear front runner. You know, there's no Tollefson, there's no Patrick Reagan, I mean, Camille will probably do that on the women's side, but she's either just going to go and get the course record or blow up. And then, you know, people like Brittany and other elite women will, you know, be there to, to sort of sweep up the carnage. So I think that I think that's the strategy I would take. Man, it would be so much fun to be in the golden ticket hunt this year because of the first year of it being a golden ticket and uh and it's going to be such a big crowd and it's going to be kind of a homecoming it'll be a lot of fun but i think those would be my tactics i like that yeah my my plan was to chill patience has been my word for life and work lately um patience so yeah, and I and I think that's that's something that's uh, kind of an ultra runner's creed uh, that if you're if ultimately if you're patient if you're patient with your pacing if you're patient with your training if you're pa- if you let the race come to you you're going to end up probably being better off than if you try to force the issue. Mm, yeah, the ultra runner's creed. I love it. Have you? Uh... So yeah, let's talk about your blog a little bit. Have you officially written an ultra runner's creed? Because it sounds like you have some experience in this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't. I, I did, uh, you know, uh, I, uh, years ago and on, uh, in AJW's Taproom, I did write a, a series on, on the five metacognitive skills that, um, that ultra runners require. And, uh, I'm not going to memorize them all on the top of my head, but patience is one of them. Resilience is the other. Grit is the other. Uh, you kind of problem solving on the fly. You know, the things that we learn in ultra running uh, that hold us in good stead in the rest of our lives uh, are, are those. And I would say certainly patience, resilience, and grit are the top three. You know, if you can, 
if you can face up to adversity time and time again, you know, if you get knocked down eight times and get up nine times, you're winning, right? If you, if you can be patient enough to know, okay, it's, 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 it's okay that, that, that gal is out there 50 minutes ahead of me because I'm running my race and I'm going to do my thing. And I've done, I've done this training and I know if the day comes together the way I want it to, that I'm going to be in the hunt at the end. I mean, those are, those are skills that are going to help you when you're applying for a job. They're going to help you when you're trying to deal with a child who won't go to sleep because they're, you know, they have a sore throat. They're going to help you when you have to deal with the death of a, of a parent or a, a loved one. I mean, those are skills that are transferable to so many walks of life. And they're right there for us in, in ultra running. They're right there, you know, laid plain. Uh, and, uh, and I think the best of us, those of us who realize that, that's why we keep coming back. You know, it's like, I wonder what I'm going to learn about patience this time. I wonder what I'm going to learn about my ability to bounce back from adversity this time. You know, if I, if I get to mile 60 and I'm puking and I can't get any food down, what am I going to do to, you know, keep going and make sure I finish? Cause, uh, cause that can happen to anybody that can happen to the person running their first hundred or their person running their hundredth hundred. And that's what's so great about the sport. And so I haven't actually written an ultra runner's creed, but I've certainly thought about it. And maybe this conversation has inspired me to some point, maybe write about it. Cool. Yeah. So you've been, you've been writing in, I run far for how long? 10 years. 10 years. And how, how often, like what's. Oh, I, oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Every, every, every Friday for 10 years. Wow. That is dedication. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of content. That's a lot of content. I wonder how many words that is total. Billions. Yeah. I'm, 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 I, I continue to flirt with the idea of writing a book or taking, compiling all of those, you know, 492 columns into some sort of a book or some sort of a collection, but I'm, yeah, I haven't had the time or the wherewithal yet to do that, but yeah, it's, um, it's been, it's, it's, it's been wonderful. It's a, it's a, I, I, I give Brian and Megan who are the, you know, people who own I run far the, that I give them a lot of credit for giving me the opportunity to do that for 10 years. Uh, you know, I did say to them, I wanted, I didn't, I wanted to have complete editorial control over the column. So, you know, everything that I write, it goes through an, an editorial process, but, but nobody tells me, oh, you shouldn't say that, or you can't say that. So if I say something controversial about the UTMB point system or the Western States lottery or the hard, hard rock old boy network, like that's me talking and it's, it's um it's not it's it's not filtered and and that's what i that's what i've loved about being the editorialist for i run far for all these 10 years is that it it just gives me an an opportunity like like this conversation with you this evening you know to to have my voice heard in in a uh, in a completely sincere and honest way without any filter on it 
And and I think that's important. That's important these days for, and I think that's part of why people feel like they know me. They are like, oh, I feel like I've never met you, AJW, but I feel like I know you because I've been reading your column for eight years, you know, or I've heard you on this podcast for five years. And that, that, that's a, that's a good feeling to know that you're, that you, they're helping make a difference in people's lives and helping when they make decisions about things they do in life or things they do in running or things they do in running and life. Um, that's important. So I, I value that opportunity to have my voice heard and, and I hope that I can continue to do that. Beautifully said. Yeah. And it makes me want to ask you, what's, what's your, why what's kept you going all these years? You know, I thought I, I was asked that I was asked that probably about six years ago now when when I uh, I made the decision to get a, a pretty dramatic hip surgery, hip resurfacing surgery. And then three years later, got my other hip uh, resurfaced and and knew at the time that that was going to slow me down considerably and and that I was no longer going to be a, you know, a competitive ultra runner, but I was going to be a recreational ultra runner. And, and my why at that, from that point on has been, I love to run. Running is not just what I do, but it's who I am. And getting out, you know, going to the races is great, but, but getting out every morning, you know, the, my alarm's going to go off at 4.45 tomorrow. I'm going to shuffle out to the kitchen. I'm going to make some coffee. I'm going to go for my six-miler. I'm going to come back, and I'm going to get get through the rest of my day. But that, that two-hour period is the best part of my day, and that's my why. I run so that I can keep running. Even if it's slower, even if from time to time I walk, even if from time to time I have to drop out of a race, my why is because it makes me more of who I am. It makes me more of a, a whole version of AJW. And, you know, some, someday, someday I'm not going to be able to run anymore. I know that. Um, but that day is not today. And that's a good thing. It's a very good thing. Very good thing. Thank you for sharing that. Is there anything else that you'd like to talk about in regards to this amazing race that's coming up right around the corner? <laughs> well, yeah, you know what, I, Shelby, thank you for asking and thank you for the opportunity to, to be on this podcast. I would say, look, for anybody listening to this podcast who's coming to Havelina, I hope I get a chance to meet you. Um, I, I'm going to be camping out the whole weekend. I'm going to be running the race, obviously. I'm going to be hanging out with everybody. I can't wait to see all my old Arizona friends. And uh, I hope to get to meet you all. This is a special event. It's going to be extra special this year as we're coming out, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, coming out of the pandemic. It's going to be a little bit more of a normal race. I just can't wait to see everybody. And I, and I, uh, and I hope, I, I wish everybody who's, running a nice little 10 day taper right now. And can't wait to see you at uh, bright and early on the 30th till we start getting loopy. Oh yeah. Okay. Hold on. I do have one more question. You mentioned tapering. What's your taper strategy? 
All right. Well, that's funny you ask because <laughs> I think I think I think the here's here's the deal with tapering. The more intense you train, the more you need a taper. Right. So I think I think like the front of the pack people, the people who are doing lots of intervals, the people who are going for golden tickets, they really need uh, kind of the classic 70, 30, 70, 50, 30 taper. So just to be clear, reduce volume by 70 percent the first week, 50 percent the second week. I'm sorry, 30% the first week, 50% the second week, 70% the third week from your max volume, right? That's like the theory. And that's a that's a theory that's sort of as old as tapering is, right? Reduce your volume 30, 50, 70. But when you're when you're more, let's just say more seasoned of an ultra runner like myself, or like many of the people who are towing the line at Havelina this uh next weekend there are a lot of older folks towing the line i i looked an ultra sign up there are, i i, I want to say there are at least 30 people who are towing the line at Havelina who have over 100 ultra finishes in their careers on ultra sign up those people frankly don't need to taper at all i mean the, for them the taper might be okay, I'll run, uh, you know, I'll just take two days off before the race, stuff like that. So, I mean, tapering is so much of a personal experience and so much of a unique challenge that it runs the gamut from those front of the pack people who really need to be scientific about it to those people who've got 200 ultra finishes and they're just going to be like, I'm just going to show up and run. So uh, my philosophy on it is, most of all, do what works for you. And if you have a strategy that's worked in the past, do it again. And if you, if you tried something before and it didn't work, try something different and maybe talk to someone who is a little bit like you or has had similar success with a different taper strategy and ask them. Because I can tell you, as many different runners as there are, there are as many different taper strategies. Yeah, I'm glad I asked this question. <laughs> it's uh, it's definitely individual preference uh, to a big degree. There sounds like sounds like you're in the you're in the throes of uh, taper strategy right now, huh? I am. I I try to be pretty loose with my training and planning. Um, at least it's been working for me thus far. And so for me, I'm kind of giving myself, you know, two weeks of, we'll call it tapering, um, more like spin class instead of running and hot yoga. And just like, I'll, I went for a great seven miler this morning, but I don't, I'm not so, I'm not concerned about my mileage these two weeks at all. Like it, could very well be 20 miles this week. And that's great with some spin and yoga. And I think just like reducing the pounding is sort of my goal and focusing on sleep and hydration and just like mentally getting everything in check. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's really smart and especially early, early next week. 
Yeah. Um, you know, I think I think um, what I would say to anybody Monday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, next week uh, are the key times to just not have any extra stress in your life, not have any extra anything, whether it's sleep, whether it's house projects, hopefully, you know, kind of cleared the decks at work like that's that's where what Ann Trayson used to call the mental taper where she used to say not not only do i need a break from the physical training but i need to give my mind a break so that my mind is is fresh and clear when race day comes because i'm going to have to i'm going to have to be focused for between 16 and 30 hours and that's not something I have to do very often. So I want to make sure that I'm, I'm, you know, mentally tapered as well. And, and that's what, especially you, you mentioned sleep and hydration and, and, uh, you know, next, the, the, the Monday, you know, get through this weekend, the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday is like, you know, yes, people, you're going to be caught up in, oh, I got to do my, I got to get my gear ready or my drop bags, or I've got to run to the store and make sure I have batteries for my headlamp and all that stuff. But you're going to do all that pre-race stuff. But to allow time to just like let your mind rest after however long of the training buildup is absolutely key come race day. Yeah. And I think the mental taper is also going to help me fall asleep on those, you know, days before the race I I know that typically do not really sleep at all before uh, some of the big runs that I've done and uh, that hurts you so I think that if I can calm the mind over the next uh, week and a half then sleep will come and good things will happen yeah you'll you'll, yeah yeah you have to assume you're not going to sleep you're not going to sleep hardly at all the night before. So if you can, if you can bank some sleep on the second night before the third night before and the fourth night before that just helps you. Yeah. All right. I guess it's my bedtime now then. (laughs) All right. Well, Shelby, this was great. Thank you so much. Andy, it was really awesome chatting and I definitely will hunt you down next weekend. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, yeah, it'll be fun to, we'll look for each other on, on Friday. Yeah. Wowza. Now that's a wise man. It's amazing how much you learn over time in this sport. I'm so grateful to get to speak with these seasoned runners. Other than getting out there and doing it, it's such a spectacular way to learn the art of ultra running. And whatever you do, make sure you don't have a random flashlight in your pack before you get to the starting line. Hey. You live and learn. Follow my living and learning journey at Shelbs F on Instagram. That's two Z's. And if you like what you hear, let me know. As always, thanks so much for tuning in. And until next time, happy running or not running, relaxing, happy relaxing.